you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, a podcast where I interview incredible thinkers, leaders, game changers, uh, opinion makers from around the world to really understand what it is that's driven them to unleash their brilliance to do the work that they want to do. Today, it is my pleasure to bring to you the incredible Dr. Amy Silver. She is a keynote speaker, a, um, an incredible author. Her latest book, The Loudest Guest, is out now, How to Change and Control Your Relationship with Fear. Here's the thing, right? Has fear stopped you? Does your fear stop you from doing the things you want to do? Or are you so full of fear that it actually fuels your determination, your courage to actually do it anyway? What if uh, we could learn to understand fear? What if we could change our relationship with fear? Uh, What if instead of allowing fear to control us, we actually used fear to actually fuel our next and instead embraced it um, as a friend as opposed to a foe? Uh, Dr. Amy says that we need to start understanding and identifying the stories and patterns that we are telling ourselves that are fueling the fear, that are stopping the choices that we are making. And instead, uh, understand that fear, welcome fear, and embrace it. Her latest, latest book, The Loudest Guest, suggests that fear is the loudest guest at your party and actually to have a conversation with it to turn it around so that you can actually move forward. In her opening preface of her book, she said, fear is the operating system used by much of the world and the root of most human interpersonal pain and suffering. We have a fear of sharing. She questions, if we could move past this fear, perhaps we could live more harmoniously. Please enjoy this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance with today's guest, Dr. Amy Silver. Super excited to welcome the incredible Dr. Amy Silver to today's podcast. Hello, Amy. How are you? Hello. This is lovely, isn't it? So nice. (laughs) I do love our podcast conversations. It's um, such a wonderful opportunity to to dig deep and really find out where this genius has has come from. Um, I've known Dr. Amy Silver for way too long. Uh, We were in a community together called Thought Leaders Global, and it was during um, during that time together, the, I just got curious about the work of Amy Silver because she's all about how we manage fear and how we can actually use uh, fear to our advantage to achieve what it is that we want to achieve, to uh, lead our best lives, to build our best businesses. So, Amy, I am really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And just front up, I'm a little bit nervous. No about... way. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm excited, but it's like, usually I'm talking about, you know, the knowledge that I have around fear or using fear as a guide. And um, I feel like this podcast is a beautiful 
catalog of stories of people's histories and um and it's 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 a really interesting to hear people's st- that background you know that that story of them so i'm i think i'm going to learn stuff from your questions today <laughs> so many of my guests say that they go oh my gosh janine i can't believe you <laughs> asked me that question and i can't believe i hadn't thought about that but isn't that interesting when we when we think about your work in particular uh amy in terms of the fact that fear looms I think you say on the back of your book you say fear looms as the loudest guest in your mind and how Mm. it actually plays out um you know even when you're studying this stuff it's still it still rears its ugly head right yeah I think I, I think actually to be honest the closer that I've got to having a good relationship with my fear the more aware of it I am. And so the more I recognize that it's partnering me uh, with me along my life. And, you know, I sort of, I have got to the stage where I welcome it, but that doesn't mean that I don't feel it, you know? Uh, So it's an interesting uh, dynamic to play with, I think. Um, And I, I, I think that I'm really lucky that I have that close relationship with fear, you know, that I, that I feel it because it's exciting. You know, it's just an exciting feeling to feel something's going to happen. Something's about to happen. Something's it's about fun. to happen. Could be yeah. good. Could be not. Could be good. good. Could be good. <laughs> All right. So before before we get into um, you know where where this interest of yours came from, um, you know, obviously anyone listening listening deeply will be able to hear that Amy <laughs> is not necessarily from Australia originally. Where are you from originally, Amy? Originally from London in the UK. London in the UK. And how long have you been in Australia? We've been here for 12 years. Gosh. Um, we only came for two, but <laughs> <laughs> but still here. That's what happens in Australia, I reckon. I say to people, the uh, English, being English myself, we arrive in Australia and stay. Uh, the Aussies that go to England always come home, always come back to Australia. What does that yeah. say about where we are? Yeah. Um, so, so going back to uh, to being a little girl in London, mm. what what was childhood like for you? Oh, childhood was was very privileged for me. Um, you know, it was surrounded by an extended family of love, and um, you know, looking back, I had a, a pretty good childhood I we did have a few traumas along the way that definitely shaped me and shaped my view on the world but I think you know the overriding story is one of one of privilege and and happiness um and so I think you know I I I didn't really grow up until I left home but in the UK you leave home so early you know like it's not in Australia I hear that people uh, I've got three kids so I'm acutely attuned to when children leave home and um apparently they don't leave home for quite a while but in the UK I don't know when you left home Janine but I was fiercely independent and left um pretty much as soon as I was capable of earning money so um you know and that was you know really where I think I started to grow up yeah so what happened where did you go at 18 did you go on and study uh well, I went to university because we went to, you know, you'd go, you'd, usually in the UK, you travel to go to university. So I went and left home to go to university. And that was really, I know this sounds probably terrible, considering that I went on to quite an academic career. 
But the only reason I went to university was because I thought I could leave home legitimately. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, it was it was definitely a way to start choices of my own. And um, I actually left to go to university to do economics. Um, and while I was there, sort of happened across psychology and um, did a switch, which meant that I had to have a year off kind of in Manchester. I was living in Manchester and had a year off there waiting for the psychology degree to start and, uh, you know, took, took various jobs along the way to make that work. But it was, you know, definitely the start of me making decisions purely based on, on what I wanted rather than necessarily start, you know, decisions that were laid out for me. Um, yeah, so I think that was where I started to, to be independent. And can you remember making those choices? Were they scary choices or was it uh, exciting oh, yeah. choices? We're going back three decades now. It's <laughs> getting old. Um, they were scary choices because I think once you make a decision that you are, you you know, when you're, when you're fighting other people's decisions, it's kind of, you know, that's one thing, you know, you, you know, you're doing something because somebody else has thought it was a good idea. Um, you, you sort of, you, you've got space to kind of complain about it or make it fail because it's there, it was their choice anyway. And when you make your own decisions, I think that calls on a bit of a deeper commitment to it, you know, and, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but that drive to succeed, you know, it's sort of hard when you've created your own choices to, to, to then not, not commit to that. So I think I did learn there to work way harder than I had ever worked before. I think I'd always sort of pretty much coasted through. I failed my A-levels and had to retake them. And, you know, I'd sort of, I'd been okay at school, but having having fun and being the clown in the class was much more important to me than actually doing well. Um, and, yeah, I think university started to sort of open up my attention to, wow, there's a game here, you know, and the game is that you could, you could get ranked higher than than you thought of yourself and that push that kind of of succeeding became really exciting to me so you know and that, and that really just stayed around for about eight years I I've, may have said this to you before but when I was at uni and I was in my third year of uni doing psychology somebody came to the class to talk about the what you could do with the psychology degree and they talked about all the different routes that you could have, you know, occupational psychology, educational psychology. Um, you could go into all these different sort of marketing and uh, commercial sort of lenses. And then they said, oh, and there's this thing called clinical psychology, which obviously we all knew about, which was therapy and abnormal psychology. And they, it was a class of 200 or, and they said, but only one of you will, you know, statistically get in. So we won't cover that that too much in too much detail and that was the point that I decided I wanted to do clinical psychology because I was like oh one in 200 that sounds good that'll be me <laughs> so without actually even knowing a huge amount about what it was I was like yep uh if there's a if there's a goal and um you know I, I'd started to to strive towards achieving goals so do you reckon you have a natural competitive streak or looking back do you reckon it was fear that was driving you I I think 
that would be an awesome conversation to have. Let's do that <laughs> at some point about where the competition is fear. But um, I, I am incredibly competitive, like, mm-hmm. you know, in everything. And sometimes that serves me really well. Um, particularly when I'm playing the game against myself, you know, and I think that's the only way that that game kind of really works is to be trying to beat yourself. Um, I don't think it was fear of um, failing. It was potentially fear of not being noticed um, or something like that, you know, that there is a – a noticeable quotient that goes with being at the top of something um, that was quite attractive. And, you know, later in later years after I'd had sort of, you know, quite a successful career in in clinical psychology, um, I went into acting for a while. And in acting, I definitely noticed, ah, I do quite like being noticed. (laughs) I do quite like being um, on a stage. You know, it was, it was quite sort of, you know, uh, clear that there was a thread, you know, when, when I was in academia, I liked working hard to publish academic peer reviewed papers. You know, that was the point of, you know, your, your work is of value. You have been noticed. Um, and, you know, I think there is an attraction to things like that for me. So can you remember what, watershed moment if there was one that led you to start really zoning in or honing in on the work that you do now which is predominantly around fear and how people can make fear their friend how people can you said something off air about fear can actually be a guide like where where did that happen when did the sort of What was the moment where you went, there's something else here, there's something that I actually think I need to go deeper into? In in the therapy world, uh, it's really clear that um, fear is is instrumental in people's capability to move through whatever they're trying to work through. And as a therapist, the role is predominantly helping people feel comfortable enough to face into the things that they fear or, you know, whether that's behaviorally through their actions, kind of do something that that pushes them into a different life choice or a different space um, or the fear, you know, making them feel safe enough to, to, to deal with the fear of sharing some of their vulnerabilities or stories. So fear is definitely prevalent in therapy, although it it isn't necessarily, and in the therapeutic relationship, sorry, but it's not necessarily really explored explicitly. Um, I think when I transferred to acting, uh, which was because I'd sort of got into some very serious therapy worlds uh, in the clinical psychology world, and I, I'd, I really wanted to lean into sort of that more playful side of myself, that space of exploring and wondering and um you know it just yeah play play and so I took a year off to do acting and there I really thought wow this is incredible that my fear really got in the way of my performance and I would be 
amazing in my bedroom when I was doing, you know, the lines. Um, and in front of other people, oh my God, I just fell to pieces. So it, the whole process of learning to act and then being an actor was about trying to move past my fear. And when I started to work, and so my first job as an actor, uh, or one of the jobs that I had as an actor was to be a corporate actress. So you would come in and play you know, the difficult customer for the, for a consultant firm, or you would be, there'd be a training company and you'd, you'd come in and play the, um, the patient for, you know, people to practice their clinical skills or whatever that they'd use actors. And so that was my first sort of insight into corporate or organizations. And it was so obvious to me then that people were just so nervous about, saying what they wanted to say about connecting on a human level about making changes to their work I could all I could see was fear and it was just I was amazed I'd had this kind of really um I guess naive view of business and corporate because I'd never been in it I'd always been in you know health services I had this sort of naive imagination that sort of you know, these shiny offices with these kind of smart looking people would be full of people who were fearless, you know, that were just kind of, you know, really comfortable. And oh my God, I just couldn't believe how much fear there was around. So I think the thread has been there all the way through, but it's only really become really clear to me that everything has been about fear all the way through and it's funny I you know I was writing this book this recent book which is about fear and it was only when I wrote it that I realized that my doctorate thesis (laughs) this sounds so this sounds so bizarre but my doctoral thesis was about fear but I hadn't really kind of noticed that I was developing this skill set around fear. I I thought it was all about behavioral change. I thought what I was doing was behavior change, which of course it is. That's the ultimate goal. But fear is the thing that prevents us from that behavioral change most of the time. And yeah, so my doctoral thesis was about fear. It's probably what I should have said for that answer. (laughs) No, I I actually have have a question to ask about you going Mm. from academia into acting. Like talk to me. Talk to me about that. Like, I cannot imagine that people around you got it. Mm. <laughs> like, what? It was, what? yeah. <laughs> it was so, it is so bizarre how, um, so I, at the time I was working at Oxford University as a tutor there and I was on, uh, you know, teaching the the doctorate students there and uh, I, ha- I had a really good career and yeah, was definitely on the track for a professor. And um, I just had this craving to do something different. I just, I think um, I-, I could just see what was ahead of me. And I just thought, wow, I'm really on a track here. Uh, and it's really clear to me what that track could be. And, you know, it's, al- it's almost like it was all easy and I was just like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not sure uh, I'm kind of really, really want that. And it's not because I didn't want it. It was really exciting. And I think it would have been a lovely choice. But I had this moment where I go, oh, what else? You know, what else could I do? And, you know, do I want to sign up for 
you know, the next decade being about that or the next 20 years being about that. And the deeper you go into something, I think the harder it is to to jump, you know. And so I I did have a few people kind of, um, yeah, you know, what, what are you walking away from? Uh, this is sort of not what, <laughs> not what the plan is. Um, but I, I think it was a, a real moment. You said watershed moment before, but I think it was a moment of kind of going, hang on, what if life isn't designed already for me? What could I do? And, you know, how do I just make sure that I'm making decisions deliberately rather than following a, a track that's already been designed? Um, because I, I think I'd spent so much of my time in therapy hearing people talk about, you know, the passive decisions that they'd made because that's what made sense in their life and um, or for those around them and, and then regretting it. Uh, and I think if you actively choose your choice points, you know, if you actively choose something, you, you can't regret it because at that moment it, it made sense, you know. And I think the only thing that I would regret is, giving over a, a, a course of action to something that, you know, wasn't actually my decision in the first place, mm. but it, it just was easy to do that. So it's interesting because as you're talking, what I'm hearing is there's such a significant amount of courage that actually runs through your life and work. So, you know, leaving home at 18, changing your degree, moving from economics to psychology, deciding to go for that one job in clinical, mm. uh, then going the academia route, then packing it all in essentially to become an actor. Like I'm hearing <laughs> cur- like so much courage. So do you reckon actually there there is a fine line between courage and fear? Oh, look, you, you cannot have one without the other. Like there's nothing mm. to be courageous about if you don't have fear. So mm. it, they, they, they coexist or the choice for them to coexist is there. Uh, you can either be full of fear uh, and avoid, or you can be full of fear and be courageous. And it, it's the fear is is there constantly. As I said before, it's the choice to to not listen to it that I think mm-hmm. we always have, and to move into that position of kind of going, oh, there's a decision. I know what fear wants for me. Um, it wants safety. It wants, you know, protection. And and what do I want is is the more important question. And, you know, is fear spurring me on? You know, is it is it providing me with a goal that I don't want to fail at? Or is it telling me that I'm straying too far off my values? Or is it guiding me towards something incredible that's growth-oriented? Or is it just selling me, you know, stories that are built around um, pulling back to something that is comfortable, something that is um, easy, you know, how is it, how is it actually preventing me from moving into the life that, that I could be in control of? And I, I think I am pretty good at that. I think that is a skill that I have developed is having that conversation with my fear voice and working out is it's being helpful or or not. So there's some awesome stuff that you just said that I just want to unpack there. So that first piece about you can be full of fear and 
it actually puts you in a place of avoiding a situation or mm-hmm. you can be, or and, you can be full of fear and almost do it anyway and that it drives the behavior. How do you, how do you see both of those? Um, and it comes back, I think, to your work around you can actually use fear as your friend or fear can be mm. the enemy. So anyone listening into, into this who I think, you know, as you said, fear is always present and I bet all of us can – think of situations where the fear has stopped us from doing something and equally where the fear has driven you. How how do you, you said also, I found the moment to be able to sit and listen to fear. How do you advise other people to do that? What can we do to ensure that we are reading the right messages or make coming <laughs> to the right conclusions of how we're feeling about fear? What advice do you have for people? I think it is it is not a quick fix. This is a relationship building exercise. Um, and I know my fear quite well. So I am able to say, oh, there's that line again, or there's that story, or there's that vision that you're feeding me. Um, and when you start to see the patterns that your fear voice uses to add the drama, the layer of drama, I think that's really easy then for me to kind of go yeah yeah I hear you you know yeah we've been here before I know the story that you're telling me you know from my childhood or I Mm. know the the thing that you're using that language that you know really pushes my buttons I know I know I know and then I've got that ability to separate me from from it so I, I think it's partly building this relationship and understanding what tools your fear voice uses. You know, I said to you actually earlier before we before we started recording about, you know, people don't always notice or or recognize their fear. Mm. Um, they don't sort of label it as such. So it may even be that you look for patterns in your behavior and patterns of decision making that you go through. What what decisions have you had in your life? And you can go through, you know, basic decisions um, like speaking up in a meeting or, you know, putting your hand up for an opportunity or, um, you know, saying no or saying yes or whatever, just, you know, micro moments of decision um, and just look at what you did next um, and start to spot patterns of when you have either felt like it was a threat in some way, you know, that something happened and it was a threat. Look for what that threat is, where it may have um, pushed you and where it may have helped you and what the what the pattern is of that. You know, it can be really um, tricky to work out, but I think it's really valuable to understand what those patterns are. Mm. And, and I think spending time with yeah, understanding. I've just got to let my dog in. Hang on, because she's driving me crazy. Hang <laughs> on. I love it. One second. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm back. Um, yeah, understanding what the what the patterns are and looking for whether there's a pattern or, or a story around a fear of rejection or a fear of not being good enough or a fear of being excluded or a fear of fear itself. And really any one-off decisions are probably not worth uh, any one-off things where you kind of arc up or you avoid a decision. That's probably not that interesting. But when you notice a pattern, uh, when you push people away 
or you attack or avoid. And that becomes a, a, a habit system that you can recognize. It's sort of interesting to kind of go then, okay, I might have a default pattern that I use with decisions. So I know you, because you've told me, have <laughs> a default pattern with challenges. When people set you a challenge, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, game on, let's go. You know, don't set me a challenge because I'll go for it and I'll, I'll get there. Um, and I have a default pattern about, you know, feeling like something's out of my reach. I'll just go, okay, cool. You know, let's go, you know, and I think understanding those default patterns um, is really the the way in which we understand how how to manage ourselves and and where we are in choice and where it helps us um, and where it doesn't. I've got an equally sort of strong pattern around you know fear of heights and stuff. You know, like that's a very strong. I, I said this the other day actually. In my nine, uh, how old is she? Twelve year. Oh well, she's now thirteen year old daughter. Um, had a roller disco party the other day and I didn't get on the skates. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't do the, do the thing. I didn't get on there. And I think I was thinking, why, why did I say no to getting roller skates? Why did I, why was I happy to sit on the sidelines and, and watch rather than be on it? And I sort of went through the whole rational, well, I've got to look after all the children and I've got to have good visibility, you know? And then I was like, nah, you were just scared. <laughs> you were just scared mm. of falling over or, and, and I sort of backtracked to sort of like an, uh, you know, if I'd have said yes to something else a couple of days ago that, that evolved, uh, that turned up in my life where I could have been a bit more physical, physically brave, potentially I would have been braver at the roller disco thing. And then if I'd have been ro- braver at the roller disco thing, maybe I would have been braver the next day. So I think noticing where your fear actually holds you back from taking up opportunities and mm-hmm. then kind of having that conversation with yourself, whether that's okay or not. Mm-hmm. So I think patterns is is key and understanding yourself. And it's that that line of it holding you back. If it's holding you back from your goals, mm. your dreams, from what it is that you're wanting to achieve, then it's taking the ownership to get curious about where that's coming from, um, which which I think is quite challenging for most people. You know, we hear it. I'm sure you get asked all the time. It's the voices in our heads that are telling us we're not good enough, um, that we're choosing to listen to or choosing to have a conversation with or choosing mm choosing to move away from and you know actually um you know you t- you you talk about that in your book as fear being the loudest guest and inviting mm. fear into the party um can you can you just share a little bit more about what you mean by that <laughs> i think that one of the craziest things about fear is that if we allow fear to control us what happens is we fear fear itself so we actually start avoiding things that might cause us fear. And I think, you know, to fear fear is this kind of weird thing that that we do as humans rather than embracing it and welcoming it and saying, you're here anyway, let's get to know each other. Uh, I think that's a much safer position for our heads to be in. You know, we're not trying to pretend it's not there, not trying to cover it up or pretend to other people that we're not experiencing it. Um, you know, let's move into a position where we can actually name it and say to each other, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't listened to anything that you just said because my fear voice was really activated. Or uh, when I said that 
or reacted in that way, that was really because, you know, I felt threatened. Um, and that's all on me. You know, that's something that happened inside me. Uh, and I didn't want it to interrupt kind of what we were talking about, but that's just what happened. I just want to explain. And if we can be really transparent with what fear is doing to us, um, because it is just a biological thing. Um, and by the way, there's no such thing really as, uh, as the emotion, like it's, it's a physical thing that sets off in our body that tells us that something is going to happen. Mm. And that, that then gets interpreted by us as, right. you know, we layer on a layer of thought and emotion, uh, a language around this. Um, so that the, the language that we could use is excitement, you know, because it's exactly the same physical, um, symptoms uh, in, that you get in excitement and, and fear. So I think if we weren't so frightened of this thing, this um, physical set of symptoms that happens when we are alerted to something or we're trying to keep ourselves safe, if we saw it as a friend, not a foe, um, it's there to help us. It's there to guide us. Um, it's there to point out risk. And if we didn't have it, we'd be dead. So, you know, let's welcome it. It's here. It's coming. It is the loudest guest in our brain because we are designed to be threat-seeking machines. You know, we don't want to be excluded. We want to belong. We don't want to fail because, you know, that shows something about our value. We don't want to get eaten by saber-toothed tigers. We, You know, all of these things are real. And this is this incredibly clever system that sets off this warning system for us. So thank goodness it's there. Um, and let's now turn to it and kind of go, okay, let's let's have a conversation. You know, the analogy is that we've got this party in our head. If this voice is so loud and it's dominating everything that we do, it controls the party. But I'm the host of my party. You know, what if I get to choose? And fear is just one of the guests, but excitement is a guest at my party. Hope is a, a guest at my party. Um, you know, all these different emotion or, or words that I have in my head are, are guests at my party. And I want to, I want to use all of them. I want to listen into all of them. What, what does the guest of self-compassion say here? What does the guest of pride say here? Who can I tune into that's going to serve me best in this decision or give me a full spectrum thinking about this decision so that when a decision comes up or an opportunity comes up, do I leave my job? Do I set up this thing? Do I uh, move into this product? Do I you know, go and speak on a bigger stage? Do I do these things? That all of those opportunities become things that you want to make sure that you've really thought about from all perspectives, not just from that very, very loud guest of fear, which is always our front runner. Mm -hmm. So if we can learn to, to say to our fear, yeah, I, let's hear it. Let's hear what these risks are. Okay, got it. Thanks. Now I'm going to tune into the guest of hope or pride or love or whatever the self-compassion, whatever it is that you think would be a useful other perspective so that I can turn to all the guests at my party and choose the best option for me. Who do I want to travel with right now? Well, I want to travel with the guest of excitement, you know, and Sophia, can you go take a back seat, please? Mm. <laughs> what about, you know, thinking about it on a huge sort of macro scale right mm. now, um, you know, May 2021 when we're recording this, 
where the the world at large has been seriously upended and you know lots and lots of change happening lots and lots of uncertainty that fear is very real for mm. some people uh losing jobs losing families fear of flying of you know getting held up somewhere whatever it may mm-hmm. be um you know what <sighs> As somebody that is a thought leader in this space, it's it's your work that you do. If you were to have that global stage right now and you were like a superhero that was able to sprinkle the world with a whole heap of <laughs> Dr. Amy Silver's genius, what, what would your message be? What advice would you give? I think that it's okay that we have had an awareness of how vulnerable we are um we are vulnerable this is not new we've always been vulnerable all of us are it's just we've become really aware of it now Mm. I think that it could be a potentially you know very useful moment in time and I think people are talking about this being a, a watershed moment for us as humanity to turn towards things that we have been in denial of for so long Mm. because it's sort of we are more connected to that vulnerability. So I, 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 you know, I'm not sort of wanting to diminish the horribleness of what people have had to go through um, or glorify any of the outcomes in any way. It's, it's, tragic all of it is tragic Mm. but the increased vulnerability that we feel is just that we have had the illusion (laughs) that we weren't vulnerable taken away from us Mm. um and so that closeness that we have to our fear that closeness that we have to understanding um that we can't push those fears away might mean that we develop a slightly more compassionate perspective for ourselves um, of how difficult it is to live with within the human brain when we do have such complex um, systems at play and um, the vulnerabilities that we feel and how those vulnerabilities drive us towards behaviors that sometimes are not very good you know I think more than the than the corona story is the um is the race relations conversations and the diversity conversations about uh, gender and about color and 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 about us as a group connecting effectively to deal with something that's hitting us on a global nature. So I feel quite strongly that you know we we need to to serve ourselves with self compassion, big heaps of self compassion about how difficult it is to move past fear mm. and big heaps of compassion towards each other on on a, each of a, each of us have a different journey with fear mm. and so even on the tiniest little things like um you know whether people have sort of set up different sort of fear responses to shaking hands or being in an office space together we're all sort of slightly on a different journey with fear and and our relationship with it and and I think that's okay. Let's have compassion towards that. And, you know, I know, again, we've touched on this before about our bigger purpose in life. And, you know, I think my purpose, if if I can say that, that probably sounds really, but I think my the thing that I really care about is that we 
start to realize how much fear divides us and how if we can label fear, if we can talk about our fears, that will help us with our connections across difference. And I think it's the across difference bit that is getting in our way all the time or help us with our fear about losing control or power. Um, Because I think if we can manage our fears in those contexts, I think we as as a human race will 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 be better for it. Oh my goodness me! I don't know if I went I went a bit off tangent no, there. You didn't actually. <laughs> I, I actually think that's the perfect uh, place to start rounding out this conversation mm. because I was about to ask you what what you know what influences you to to get so deep into this space to study this 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 area to share it so consistently as you do through continued academic work through the books that you write through the speaking that you do through the work that you do with organizations around the world and you've pretty much answered it right there mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually and that's why I was quite because I'm so passionate myself about connection mm. I was just like blown away around actually it is the in the unconscious fear that so many of us have mm-hmm. that actually gets in the way of how we connect how we communicate how we understand how we move forward and if we can all take that time whether you are a a friend a lover a parent a politician a leader a manager whatever it is if you can take the time to actually work out what's driving your fear then perhaps you might be able to increase the level of understanding with other people, mm. which is maybe that's your next book. Maybe. Like I, you know, I, I, I think it's everything, isn't it, from mm. averting our eye gaze when we feel under threat in a meeting or something like that. It's tiny micro things. Uh, it's walking across a room to introduce yourself to somebody. It's all of the micro things and it's, it's all of the macro things too, you know, and I just, I think the longer I spend in this world, the more I see it everywhere. I see everybody's um, fear constantly, which is, um, is an interesting lens to have on life. But I do feel like we should just be masterful at it. Therefore, you know, it's here. Let's uh, acknowledge it so that we can work together to make sure it's not determining our future. So I have to ask, What's what are what's your fear? If you had to put a voice on your fear, what's your fear telling you? And have you got an example of where you've almost had to put that fear back in its rightful place and ignore it so that you are able to take your next step? I have enormous fears all over the place, but I constantly put it back. So one of the things that um, I started a couple of years ago was playing soccer. Um, and so I play soccer now and if anything ever has really challenged me and told me, you know, okay, you know, fear has been in my ear saying, just stop now, just give up. It's kind of not going to work. You know, you're too old, you're too unfit. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know the rules. You know, that is a constant, constant thing for me. Um, but it's also a constant opportunity for me to learn to play with my fear 
and work against it. So every time I get on the pitch and for the hours before I get on for a game, my voice is saying, you know, just say you're not up to it this week. You know, you've got this, you're too busy. Just, you know, it's really not for you now. You know, you're just going to fail. You're going to, you know, mess up. You're going to let people down. Just pull out now. Everybody really wants you to pull out anyway. You know, it's a constant stream that I have to work against to kind of go, uh, yeah, I hear you. I know what you're saying, and I'm going anyway, and I'm gonna do this. And I feel sick, and I feel um, wobbly legs, and I get all the symptoms, and I do it. And as soon as I start letting go of that fear voice, and as soon as I start realizing that it's just adrenaline, it's just purely getting me ready for things. Um, I can then play. I can actually just play and enjoy myself. And um, fear turns into excitement, and um, you know, trepidation turns into joy. It's it's just it's fun. I connect with my with my I was going to say colleagues there, but my teammates, and we have fun. You know, and I think there is this huge buzz that comes from that adrenaline and a huge rush of oxytocin that's kind of readily available for me um, if I push through. But the I've just got to move with action despite the fear. I've got to move with action because that movement in itself allows that fear to go through me. And I do not want to get into a position where I fear fear. So if fear starts to show its head about something that I know that I want to do, if I succumb to it, I, I weaken myself next time. I, I want to stay on top of this relationship that I have with fear. I want fear to always know who's boss and mm. I'm the boss. Fear is just a guest at my party, doesn't tell me what to do. And every time that I do that, it reminds me of this power that I have. And every time I succumb to my fear, uh, it gives fear this uh, little edge over me next time. And I just can't afford to let that that in so I'm constantly on my fear to make sure it knows its place I have no doubt there are hundreds if not thousands of people listening to this podcast now and going I wish I could have just a little bit of what Dr Amy has (laughs) and you know what you can so your latest book The Loudest Guest is out now how to change and control your relationship with fear I know we haven't had chance to talk about the framework um, but for anyone who's listening who feels that uh, fear is not necessarily a welcome guest at their party but actually is the thing that is stopping them from moving forward I love Amy's book uh, to the extent that I have got so many pages marked up and uh, corners closed and nobody else is able to borrow this book. (laughs) But there's a wonderful, um, I think it's a seven-part process that you work through. Is that right? Or is it six parts? Six. Yes, six. So recognize, uh, self-compassion, separation, evaluation, decision, and experimentation. So if you find yourself uh, listening to this and going, oh, my goodness, that is me. I'm full of fear and avoiding taking that next step or it's stopping me following their dreams, highly recommend you grab yourselves a copy of The Loudest Guest and follow that. Uh, was it six? I know I should remember. <laughs> six, <laughs> six, yeah. Uh, I know, I'm looking at the thing and I'm trying to count and read at the same time and I can't do it. Um, Dr. Amy Silver, where can people grab a copy of the book and where can they find you? 
Oh, you're lovely. Thank you. Um, so the book is available on Amazon and everywhere, Booktopia, wherever you buy your books and in bookshops. And uh, you can find me on dramysilver.com. It has been an absolute pleasure. I could just keep talking to you forever and ever and ever. We'll have to get you back on. Thanks so much for your time, Amy, and congratulations on your book. And thank you thank for the work you, that Janine. you do. Thank you so much for having me. I could, I equally, I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn more about what I think. So um, it's been a privilege to to have questions from you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Amy. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.